those questions are going to come in and they're really basic ones like, oh, I've lost my password. I can't log into my account. When's my order being delivered? I haven't received an order confirmation. Really mind numbing questions if we're being really honest about it. But we shouldn't be doing this as CEOs. Also, there's the part of it that we need to protect ourselves. So if somebody complains or somebody was making a point that whether it's valid or not, because the customer is not always right, and you let them believe they're right, but they are not always right. And you don't need to believe everything that they say. It's, it's really important for us that we're not necessarily reading all of that. And sometimes that our team protects us a little bit from that. So we keep in a really good mindset about this. Welcome to Scaling Simplified. A weekly conversation diving into our knowledge of teams, finance, strategies, and startups to help you scale to seven figures and keep your freedom. I'm Pip. And I'm Georgia. And between us, we have over 20 years of experience in big corporates and small startups to share with you. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Scaling Simplified podcast. And this week we are talking all about how to scale your product fulfillment. So what do we mean by this? Well, a little while ago, we talked all about how to scale your client delivery. But what if you are selling products rather than services? Today, we're going to talk you through how you can scale that product fulfillment, both from a physical product, but also a digital product perspective. So we're focusing on the operational side of things. You know, if you've nailed your sales funnel, but you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with how you're going to deliver that, or you feel like you might be capped in how much you can fulfill per day, this is the episode for you. So if you have found this uh, Q4 to be super stressful, we're going to help you get set up so next year can be twice as good with half the work. Yes. Oh, okay. I love this topic. Obviously, this is a topic close to my heart. But I think a lot of the time, Q4, especially if you have a physical product business is so stressful, you've got Black Friday, you got the holidays, and you probably feel completely overwhelmed with getting everything out the door on time to customers. So they are happy. And I know as well with a lot of service providers, a lot of people are selling a lot ahead of the new year. So they're often finding they're doing lots of selling. They get to the new year. They've got all these people signed up for their new memberships or courses or what have you. And suddenly you've got to deliver on that. So I'm really excited to jump in today and talk all about how we can reduce the time we're spending on product delivery and fulfillment so we can spend more time scaling our businesses. So I think with a product business, it's really important to understand how much time we're spending actually literally packing up and sending out products. Because to begin with, when you have a few orders, it's fine. Like it's quite nice to pack up your things and you go, you see all those lovely TikTok videos of people like pack an order with me. But I can tell you from personal experience that that is a complete pain in the bottom if the orders start to scale up and ramp up in number and it's not sustainable as you as the business owner doing this in the long term so even if you brought in one person to support what do you do when it's really busy and actually just one person isn't enough or you know lo and behold they want to go on holiday and you know who's going to do all the fulfillment when your team members on holiday so it's really important that you start thinking about how you can do this and of course if you sell a lot of digital products you don't want to be doing lots of manual setting people up on a new membership and then removing them when their subscription fails and linking bits of software and information manually 
Or if you have a live element to any memberships or courses like weekly Q&As or answering questions, you need to find a way to sort of scale yourself out of this. So overall, you can focus on revenue growth within the business. So there are three things we want to consider when we're scaling our product delivery. The first thing is sourcing. The second thing is fulfillment. And the third piece is customer satisfaction. Okay, great. So let's hit with uh, sourcing first, which is really all about keeping your product on the shelves, making sure that you've got enough stock for those all important customers as you start scaling. So if we're talking about physical products, then we're literally talking about the need to keep those products available so that people can buy them. You know, we want to make sure that we are fulfilling the demand that we've got. And if we're thinking about digital products, we're perhaps starting to think about how do I maintain these products, you know, keep them up to date without having to completely redo them every year as the market changes. Depending on the environment you're working in, there might be new legislations, different way of doing things, updates in technology that you want to talk about within that digital product. So how can you keep those up to date without starting again every year? Okay, let's dive into the product side first, and then we'll talk about digital products second. So if you have a product business and you are ready to scale the sourcing side of things, you've got four questions you need to ask yourself. So the first one is, can your suppliers keep up with your forecasted sales? So do you actually have enough products arriving with you to sell? You then want to think about how long it takes to get those new products delivered to you, how expensive it is to get those products sent to you. And then you need to think about how fast are you selling through your products? So diving into these in a little more detail. So the first thing to really hone in on is can your current suppliers keep up with what you're trying to sell? Like literally the physical number of products you're trying to sell. Do you need to find a second supplier or a backup supplier? If something went wrong with your current supplier, what would you do? So maybe having a supplier in a different location can be useful. We've had situations where shipping from China has been a complete nightmare. So somebody wants somewhere who supplies locally, and then you've only got to deal with like internal country logistics, not international logistics. You also might have something that is produced in a very specific way. And so you need to think about what other suppliers could deal with this. If you suddenly had to make a switch or if you suddenly got a really big order, could you quickly find somebody to help with this? And I think we get so comfortable once we found that supplier who's producing our products that we kind of forget about it. But as you scale, you need to start planning out other options early on so you have that backup because essentially that's just a business continuity issue you also can speak to your supplier if you're worried about this and just ask them can they cope with demand this is what our projected sales are is this going to be okay what discounts can we get as we scale up the volume what does this mean for cost per unit which then means how much more money can you be throwing at the front end of marketing in order to acquire a customer to get more customers buying and therefore increase your revenue. And I also think one of the things you need to think about as you start scaling up is what QA checks you have in place. And so that's all about your quality assurance. Do you have the quality you need as your volume increases? And that can be with your current supplier who's producing your products for you, or if you're going to a new supplier or getting a second supplier or a backup supplier, you need to make sure that as the quantity 
increases, the quality does not decrease because that is often what happens. So again, the best thing to do with this is to just keep in regular communication with your suppliers and really have those conversations back and forth because it's really about building trust here and dealing with issues really quickly. So once we have made sure that our suppliers can keep up with our forecasted sales, we need to dive into understanding how long it takes for new products to get delivered. So what is our lead time? And you really need to think about here, you'll know how long generally once you've done a shipment or two of how long things take, but do have you factored in what if something goes wrong? Or what if you suddenly get a massive order? Or you might get suddenly into retail. I've seen this with my clients so frequently. You're trying, you're pitching to all these retailers to get your products in. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. And then suddenly, boom, a big supermarket places a huge order for your products. And you've suddenly got to find out where are you getting these products from? Because you're sure as hell not going to tell that supermarket that you don't have the products for them. So thinking about what's your lead time, how quickly can you get things if you need to? Can you use air instead of freight? Can you use a train in some situations? Now, obviously, the cost is going to go up the faster it gets to you. But like, have you factored that into your pricing so you know what you're pitching to retailers to? So it's really, again, about thinking about how long it can take, what your options are. So when the big opportunity comes through, you can jump on it immediately because as product-based business owners, we don't get these opportunities thrown at us every day. So you really want to jump on it when it comes to you. You also want to think about how expensive it is to get your products delivered. So things you can think about here is can you order more in one go and therefore you pay a lower cost per unit, but you need to then pay more for warehousing or storing your products wherever you're keeping them, or perhaps you have somewhere you can keep them. So it doesn't really matter whether you've got a thousand products or 10,000 products, you've already got the space. So thinking about how expensive it is to get your products will help you then figure out how many products you want to be getting at one go and purchasing in one go. And of course, you want to also think about your invoicing terms. So can you take advantage of prompt payment discounts or do you need to access trade finance if you don't have the cash that's one really great thing to try and get yourself as sorted as possible I know you can't get every single line ticked off before a big order comes in but if you've explored trade financing options when that big order comes in that you're 90% of the way there to succeeding with that trade financing application it's going to make your life way less stressful And then the final piece to this is to understand how fast you are selling through your products. So this really comes to, if you know how fast you're selling through your products and you know how long it takes for products to get to you, you can then figure out when you need to start reordering more products. And the one thing you don't want to do is to run out of products. If you get hit on that sales whim, if an influencer does a shout out about your products, and you suddenly get an influx of orders, you do not want to be hit by the, sorry, we're sold out. I know it's good for short-term building that sense of scarcity, but long-term, it's not good for your business. You want to make sure that people are able to buy from you and you get those customers in so you can then turn them into repeat customers. So make sure you know how to calculate your reorder rate. And if this is something that you've no idea what this means, drop me a DM and we can talk about this. But thinking about how do you calculate your reorder rate How many products are you selling each week? How are you managing checking your inventory levels? Like, do you know how much stock you've got in the garage that you're selling or in your warehouse? Like, how are you keeping an eye on that? Do you know how much of it's good? Is there any damaged stock that you need to write off? You need to be keeping on top of this. 
And then also thinking about, are there any events that are happening or coming up that might increase or decrease the amount of stock you need? So maybe, you know, we're coming up to Q4 and you need to make sure you've got enough stock in line, or maybe there's a big event that you're running with someone or you're working with a big influence and you know that there's likely to be an increase in orders after this and making sure you're prepared in advance. And of course, you want to also just think about the basics like minimum order quantities on orders. You don't want to get to a place where you're constantly topping up by just a a few products at a time, because often A, you can't do that and B, it becomes really expensive. So thinking about your MOQs and thinking about how you're planning for that financially. So you're keeping enough cash aside. So you've got it in the bank, ready to go for when you're ready to place that order and press send. There are so many questions to ask on that. But I think actually, although we're talking about product and digital, there's quite a few of those questions that are relevant for digital. Even when you're starting out, if you're in the earlier stages of your business, that idea of, you know, pack up an order with me could be the same if you're sending out a digital product. If you haven't set up all the different zaps and pieces of tech and you are emailing out to every person that signs up, if you suddenly go viral and you've got, you know, a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand people that want your digital product. Are you set up for that? Like, how do you get ready for that? And equally, if you've got people signing up to your membership, like how are you going to deliver that as it scales? So again, there's a few different questions that you want to ask around maintaining that product. So imagine that you've got something, maybe it's a PDF, like it could even be your freebie, And it's downloaded regularly, but it does need to be kept up to date because perhaps it's got some legal issues or something to do with certain bits of tech. Does it need to be you that updates it? Can you train someone else to update it for you? Can you, and I saw a great example of this recently, it was a ads course, Facebook ads, and everybody knows how quickly Facebook ads change. So where she had been talking about one particular type of, I don't know, entry point that you need to put some information in. She just recorded a quick video to go ahead of that that said, if I say this, this is what I'm actually referring to because Facebook ads has been updated. And you were like, great, totally get that on board, understand, doesn't matter, everything else is the same. And then if you're running something like a membership, so again, it's the delivery side of things. Imagine that you have a weekly coaching call on that membership And suddenly you've got a thousand new people that sign up for your membership. You cannot coach a thousand people in one hour. How are you going to deal with this? Like what, what is your contingency plan? Do you have a backup coach that you're going to bring in for when it gets busy? Can you uh, deal with things in a, a different way? Can you have people submit questions and you actually get your VA to respond to them based on the answers that you've given to the other 950 people that have asked questions that week? Like, what is the contingency plan? If you're going to host like a monthly workshop, do you need to prepare all the content? Can you ask somebody else to prepare the content? Can you ask somebody else to turn it into slides and a presentation for you? And then you just record the webinar to put it out there. Maybe you're getting someone else to edit the video. Like where can you slim down the amount of time that you need to be involved so that you can focus on all the success you are now having with your product? So that's step one. Step two is going to be all around the fulfillment. Like how do you get your products to your customers on time? Now, obviously, there's a few reasons why this is important. Firstly, we want more sales. So the more time that you're packaging and posting, 
is less time you've got for finding those sales and getting things out to people. More sales mean more time packing up your products, more time posting them out. And you can't do all of that. There aren't enough hours in the day. Also, if we're thinking about physical products, if we've got a slow fulfillment, like a delay in those orders coming out to people, we're going to have unhappy customers. And then they're very unlikely to come back to us again. Or if the slow fulfillment, so it takes a while to get to them, they might have ordered something else in the meantime, and then they might want to return what they got from you. Then you've got more admin to deal with the returns. And then we get into this bad cycle that we're kind of stuck in. If it's digital products, like I've said, there is that delivery element, you know, and particularly if there's a live element to it. How do you deal with this when you've got a growing customer base? How are you going to look after everyone that signs up for this? Because when you first decided on it, you probably thought, oh, yeah, I might get 20 people sign up for this, 50 if I'm lucky. What if it really takes off, which I hope it does? How are you going to deal with that then? So some questions you might want to start asking yourself is, how do I scale this? Yes, I'm saying I want 50 people, but how do I make it bigger? Or with the product, you know, what if everybody wants one of these for Christmas? Do I keep this in-house or am I going to outsource it? So for digital products, do I want to keep doing it myself? <clears throat> Or do I want to bring someone else in to take over this element? You know, is my zone of genius actually in getting the word out about this digital product? And then I need someone else to kind of make sure that it's getting to delivered to everybody that's interested. Or we're perhaps thinking about how do I deal with the busy times of years? If you're a seasonal business, you know, this is something that's really relevant for some people. I work in a holiday industry place. You know, we have six months of the year that are really busy and six months that are quiet. So how do you deal with that increased demand at certain points of the year? Or maybe it's over Christmas, as we said, or Easter or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's a lot of businesses which are actually more seasonal than we think. And I think just taking the time to understand that and preparing in advance then means it doesn't matter that they're seasonal. We can enjoy the extra revenue we get during those months without it actually being a really stressful time. Because for me, if you have a seasonal business, you should get to that time of year and be like, yes, this is when we get to make all of our profit for the year, as opposed to like the, oh, F, this is when, you know, life falls apart for six months because I know I have to work really hard. Okay, so let's move into some really tangible ways to fix this. So let's start, we'll talk product businesses first and then dive into more the digital product side of things. So if you have a product business, you've really got two ways of doing this, of ways of fulfilling your product, as Georgia mentioned. So we can either keep things in-house or we can outsource and use a 3PL, so a third-party logistics company. So talking about keeping things in-house, you really, this is all about hiring someone or somebody's a team of people who are going to do all of your postage, your packaging, they're going to send things out, they're often going to deal with your returns, and they're essentially taking the order that comes in from your website, and they do all of that from the order coming in to making sure that the product gets to your customer in a timely manner. And as somebody that has worked as a picker and packer in a, um, a factory, a warehouse for clothing that used to get really busy at Christmas, I understand this. So 
if you're thinking seasonal or busy periods, what you want to do is create a really clear system so that you can quickly train up other people. Then you will have members of your team that are there all the time and they are going to train the influx of kind of extra staff you might have for the busy period on how to do things and have them report into that person, that person managing their day to day. Yeah, I love that. It's all about keeping things really organized, isn't it? It's like having that dedicated zone. So you've got your packing area, you've got your picking area, you've got your, once it's all ready to go, there's a place where you put boxes so you know that they're ready to ship. And when Royal Mail or DHL or DPD or whoever you've got coming to pick it up, comes you know exactly what to send out and you're not going to be sending out something that's a half packed box so I think it's just about keeping that really really clear simple have a nice simple system in place and you can do all sorts of things to make this easier so for instance if you've got best sellers don't put them at the very end of the warehouse or the very end of the room where you have to get up and like traipse 100 meters to find something keep them close if you've got a certain like scent of candle that is just your top scent or a certain size of clothing that is always the one that's picked make sure that everything's organized so you can easily find it but put the best sellers close to hand and I think another thing you want to think about as well is again just being organized if you've got products which have sell-by dates so for instance you know some candles and some beauty products often have food obviously always has sell-by dates you want to make sure that you're rotating your stock and you've got the the newest things at the back and you're picking the oldest things to go out first so what you don't do is keep on putting the new things at the front and when you have a really busy time you get back to the end of the shelf and you suddenly realize that you can't actually sell whatever you're trying to sell because it's past the sell-by date so I think it's really just about being very organized And then with this comes stock counts. So obviously for your annual accounts, you'll need to understand how much stock you've got because it's a number that goes on your balance sheet and it's a number that affects your profit as well. So you need to understand how much you've sold and what you've got left. And you need to just also do this to help with your ordering. So, you know, when you need to order a new product, the last thing you want to do is, you know, Sally from the packing team comes up and she's like, oh, Pip, we've actually only got three of these books left and we've got an order for 20, well, that's a bit of a shame because it's going to take us three weeks to get some more in. So we could have been organized there and actually got enough stock in in advance. So I think it's just here, it's about just being really organized and really logical about how you run things. And Georgia, as you said, it's just about having the right team members. If you've got somebody that's really organized, these are the people who are made for roles like this. You know, that person who just loves a system, loves to keep everyone on track. That's really who you need to find for a job like this. Definitely. And it's them, them keeping like ahead of the game as well in terms of the staff. So, you know, like we've talked about our 90 day sprints, if you know that you always have a busy Christmas period, you need to think about, okay, so how many temporary staff do I need to bring in for Q4? When do I need them by? How many do I need? You can look at, okay, on average, how many do, how many orders do my current team get out? And what orders am I expecting? You know, you can use the data to work that out, but you also need to think about who's going to train them up. So imagine that you want them to start at the beginning of December or the beginning of November. If you haven't allocated the training to someone by the beginning of November, you're already behind. So it's thinking, okay, who is going to train this person up? Do they know how to train them? And then when are they starting by? How many of them? What does the training process look like? When do they need to be up and running by? And it's kind of the same with your returns. Like, you know, that is a huge part of the business that 
perhaps we're not always thinking about putting enough resources into, but who is managing the returns? Who's checking the returns when they come in? Who's issuing the refund? And as your team grows, this is something that you really need to start thinking about. And it might become a slightly separate arm of the business when we think about the returns. I think returns is something we always forget about being a job. And actually, when it gets busy, we're going to get more returns as the natural thing with a business and it's the same if you have a service-based business you're going to have a number of people who are unhappy with your service who, who want to leave and you need to offboard and you need to ensure that you've planned out enough resources to support with that because the last thing you want to do as the business owner is to have to manage and jump in yourself to do that when you're really busy doing all the other things on your plate okay so we've talked about if we're going to keep in-house keep all of our fulfillment in-house but The other option that we have, which a lot of product businesses will use, is to outsource to a 3PL. So that is essentially a fulfillment company that does everything for you. You send your stock to them, you get your website matched in with their software, and then as orders come through, they do everything for you. Now, this is personally what I use in my business. I love it because it means I just don't need to think about it at all. I make the sale, the product gets shipped out, and I make money, and I have no part in it at all. And so personally for me, that works. Some people like to keep it all in the house. So they really have control of that customer journey and what they're sending out there. So some of the things you want to think about, if you're thinking about whether you're ready to outsource to a 3PL, you want to be thinking about the costs. Usually it's not cost effective to to outsource to a 3PL to begin with, because that extra revenue you can be using to help grow your business to begin with. But as you hit that certain threshold where you're really starting to scale and the order's really growing, that's probably the time when it's worth putting that investment into the 3PL. You want to think about where your 3PL is based. So if you have loads of customers, say in Germany, but your 3PL is in the UK, maybe you need to get another 3PL in Germany, or maybe you just need to move your 3PL to Germany. You need to really think about where is it logical for this warehouse to be so you can get your product to somebody as quickly as possible. And of course, with Amazon Prime, We have ruined people's expectations of how quickly people think they should get their product. And it makes it so hard for a small business to compete. So we've got to do everything we can, not only in signposting this to our customer, but also in setting ourselves up for as much success as we can get. So you also want to think about which delivery and courier services do they use? You might have a preferred one. Obviously, the prices of them is different. So depending on the size and the weight of your parcels, it might make quite a big difference to your postage costs. So understanding that is a good idea before you just sign up to somebody willy nilly. And then you also want to think about if they deal with returns, are returns going to that 3PL and they're managing everything for you or are there returns coming to you? So A, making sure it's really clear on your website and B, understanding, do I need to find somebody to help with this or actually can I pass everything off and I just know how much it's going to cost me per return? You also, I think in terms of finding the right partner, there's loads of people who do 3PL, but finding the right one can be quite hard. So one of the the secrets to success, I would say is test it out. This is a a business relationship. One of the most important business relationships in a product-based business, if you do use this. So like ask yourself, are they good at communicating? Do they tell you when things are going wrong? And even before you've signed up with them, like, are they, do they respond to your emails quickly? Will they jump on a phone call with you? Will they let you come and visit the facility? I know these are small things, but they give you a really important view into like their values as a company and how they're going to treat you as a customer if they can't treat you amazingly as a pre-customer 
they're definitely not going to treat you well as a customer. So really think about that before you sign up for someone. You also want to just understand like the basics, like if the connection between your, your website and their software breaks, who's responsible? So for me, I wanted a 3PL that they're responsible. If something breaks, I email them. And to be honest, they usually tell me that something's wrong and they've already fixed it before it even happens. I see the email being like, there isn't downage, we fixed it. And now I know, great, brilliant. But what I don't want to do is on a Saturday night, get emails from somebody being like, it's broken, you need to go and fix it. And then try and be in the back end of my website trying to figure out APIs. Because let's face it, that is not my strong point. So it's again, figuring out for you what works for you. And then of course, you need to think about, do they fulfill for the marketplaces you're selling on. So if you're selling on Amazon or Etsy or your own website or wherever you're selling, are they going to fulfill for that? Are they happy to do that fulfillment? Do they have the software that talks? Again, if they don't, probably not the people to go to because pretty much everyone at this point can access software that has that. So just making sure that they're suited for your business. And then finally, it's kind of more like the financial side of things. So what are their invoicing terms? How much are you paying monthly versus how much are you paying net 30, net 60? Does that work with how you work as a business? Can you afford that? So just think from a cash flow perspective, is this going to work? And then finally, can they deal with the seasonality? I know we've touched on seasonality before, but you know, it's great if they're brilliant at sending everything out in summer when it's really quiet. But if you're super busy in the winter and all their other clients are busy in the winter, how do they manage that? And don't be afraid to ask the question, like, do you bring on temp staff? How do you manage this? Like, ask the hard questions before you sign up to something, because the last thing you want to do is get yourself stuck in a situation where you are actually not in control at all and something has gone wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So important. So many things to think about there. But I think it's, as you say, it's that relationship, like understanding, are they the right 3PL for you? And you, and really testing that out in different aspects. And actually, when we think about the fulfillment on the digital products, there's also elements that we really need to think about. And I think the difference with the digital products is that a lot of what you're considering might be who else you're bringing in and they will have to be quite client facing with your clients because they're not going to be in the background picking and packing and, and posting and all the rest. You know, this is really about taking some of the load and talking to your clients. So, for example, if you are selling a digital product, maybe it's a membership, but you have a weekly Q&A and you have a big influx of, of new clients, do you need to add more calls do you need to change how you run the calls? Is it, you know, questions in advance? Are you starting to pick the questions if you're getting a lot of the same questions? Or do you want to bring in someone else to take the calls or additional calls? Are there areas of expertise that might be useful alongside yours if you're having particular types of calls coming in? It's all very well selling loads of places into a membership. But if you're then not looking after those people or the calls are just getting so lengthy because there's so many people on the call, you're not going to have a repeat business. Those people aren't going to continue to stay in that membership or buy that service because they will feel that they're not getting what they signed up for, the, the product that they bought. So yeah. slightly different in digital products, but still, still the same kinds of questions. Interrupting our own episode to bring you the exciting news of brand new Scaling Simplified VIP days. If you are ready to simplify scaling to seven figures, this is the day for you. Together, we will deep dive into your team, finance and operations so that we can create your bespoke step-by-step -step scaling strategy. 
For more information, check out the link in the show notes. Point three is keeping your customers happy. It's so important, as you say, if your customers are not happy, they're not going to be return customers. And as soon as you start to lose customers, it makes it so much harder to bring them in. As, as we all know, it's cheaper for us to resell to a customer than to acquire a new customer. So how do you keep your customers happy as you scale? And how do you prioritize that? And that's something that I think becomes more and more important as you grow and reducing that churn and making sure you're increasing the lifetime value of your customers. So really, this is where customer services comes in. And I think customer services often, if you sell, you know, services at a very high ticket, you don't need to outsource the customer service part of things as quickly because you have fewer people you have to converse with. But if you're selling 100, 200 products a day, customer queries really start to come in quickly. And if you've now just signed a thousand new people up for your membership, those questions are going to come in. And they're really basic ones like, oh, I've lost my password. I can't log into my account. When's my order being delivered? I haven't received an order confirmation. Really mind numbing questions if we're being really honest about it. But we shouldn't be doing this as CEOs. Also, there's a part of it that we need to protect ourselves. So if somebody complains or somebody is making a point that whether it's valid or not, because the customer is not always right, you let them believe they're right, but they are not always right. And you don't need to believe everything that they say. It's, it's really important for us that we're not necessarily reading all of that. And sometimes that our team protects us a little bit from that. So we keep in a really good mindset about this. So how can we start to outsource that customer services and ensure that our customer satisfaction stays really high? Well, you generally could bring someone on. You could outsource. You could use an, uh, an agency. If you're bringing someone on, often it's a VA to start with or a customer services rep. Often that's how we start these things out where we bring somebody in to do an hour a day or half an hour twice a day and then it builds up Then they're doing an hour twice a day and then before we know it, they're doing all day every day. And then it might get to a point where it's a full-time role for somebody or a full-time role for multiple people or potentially we go, actually, we want this to be completely separate. We're going to completely outsource this to an agency. I think this is more relevant if you're a product-based business because it's, Often the nuance of what you're selling is less intricate than a, a very specific services-based business. You, you have to spend a lot of time getting it right, I think, with the services-based business so they really understand your product and your customer. But these are generally the two options we've got first. So it's really thinking about which one works for you for your stage of business. And also, we just want to make it easy, don't we? Like, let's find simple processes and ways of dealing with these things. As you said, as you scale, you get loads and loads of mind-numbing questions. And many of them are the same in one way or another, you know. So let's get some written template examples to speed up the responses. And, and then they're always going to be in the right tone of voice. Keep them somewhere simple, you know, and people can start to adapt those. Hand over the responsibility to your team, you know. Yes, every customer is different. So it's sometimes hard to have clear rules, but you could have what I like to call some guiding principles within the business. So yes, some people want a refund. Others might want a replacement. Others would value just from someone listening to them. But if we're thinking about those guiding principles, for example, say you are selling products to uh, for babies, you know, and the guiding principle might be nobody knows their baby better than the mother. So if the mother is saying that this isn't right for my baby, 
we go with that. You know, the mother knows best. We can't force the mother to feed the baby something that they're not supposed to have. So that kind of can become that. You can also give that responsibility. There's an um, amazing, I can't even remember the hotel brand because my brain isn't working, but they basically say to their teams, okay, you have the authority. If a, if a client has really had a bad experience or something has gone wrong, you have the authority to offer them up to X amount in discount or money off in the restaurant, or a voucher for the bar, or whatever it might be, or a free treatment in the spa, because our customers are more important than anything else. You can you can let that customer have 500 pounds worth of value, or whatever it might be, or it could be 25 pound voucher for the customer to try and fix the problem. But just set some rules where the team can have responsibility for that. Also, I think we're always asking why something's been returned. We want to know, we want to track the reason for returns in Google spreadsheets because we want to try and make that better. We want to stop necessarily having to have that return, whether it's in the way we market the product or something else. We're going to track all the common questions that are coming in so that we can better signpost the answers or, or have things on the website that tell people before they even buy the product or before they even have a product, a problem with the product. You know, we can use it in our content, all that sort of thing. Um, we also want to have some really clear rules on what is and isn't expected, but we also want to give people the autonomy to make the best decision in the moment for that specific situation. Because if we're not giving that autonomy, we're going to get pulled in all the time to that problem. And that's not what we want. Our time is more valuable somewhere else. We're also thinking about getting the customer service team to really update their SOP with new responses as they come in. They are responsible for that. It's a living document. And how you see the proof that, that it is being updated is up to you, but there must be a way of making sure that they're taking ownership of that. Perhaps you're also keeping a folder where you keep good replies that you've received. You know, you're also keeping the team in the loop about what's happening. You know, they're, they're your front line. So if there's something wrong with fulfillment, if we've got a backlog in the stock, if if there's something that we really need to shift, you know, we're letting them know what is going on because they're the ones that are dealing with the client. If we're thinking about digital products and questions coming in about what you're providing, it might be that initially as the product builds, as popularity builds, you haven't got huge amounts of questions coming in. So you could just have someone that's checking, you know, 30 minutes in the morning, maybe in the afternoon. And then as that demand builds up, we're increasing their hours. But that's something that you want to talk to that person about in the first place. Make sure that they're going to be available as those hours increase. It might be that they are just getting back into work and they're like building up the number of hours they work it could be perfect for that. So it's thinking about how is this role going to grow as the popularity grows or how is this service going to grow as demand grows? Yeah, I love this. I loved also how you talked about asking why somebody wants a return or a refund. because so I think there's so much we can take away there. I actually have a really good example of this. I had a client who just used to accept returns. Like she, she just somebody wanted to return it, she'd be like, yeah, fine, here's the address, return it, get it back, refund. And then she started, we were talking about it and the refunds were, they were quite high for one part of the business. And we're trying to figure out like, what's going on here? It's a good product, but there's definitely a mismatch between obviously what people are expecting and what they actually get. 
So we started asking why, and it actually turns out that a lot of people were buying the incorrect products. So they were expecting something completely different because it just wasn't clear on her website. And actually, when you then went back to reread the website product description with the knowledge of the people, the customer's actual words of why they returned it, it became so clear, but it wasn't clear when you read through to begin with, because obviously you read your product description or your sales page information in your own way of interpretation, don't you? Because you wrote it or you, you've signed it off. You're like, obviously this means this. And actually maybe a phrase or something means something completely different to somebody else. So it just goes to show that it's so important to get the customer's viewpoint on this. And I also think if you're tracking what customers are saying, using their specific language is a really good way to then drop into your marketing, whether it's a pain point or if somebody, you've had something returned, you know, that you bought from somebody else and they send you an email that's just like hits the nail and you're like, yes, you treated me really well. You know, taking those little snippets and incorporating them in your business, wherever you feel is appropriate in your way of doing things. But it's just putting that little sort of, I guess, sparkle on everything to really kind of bring it together as a brand. Okay, so I know we have covered a lot in this episode. And if you are a service-based business owner, I would definitely recommend that you go and listen to How to Scale client delivery, because this is something that really goes hand in hand with this if you're offering digital products and services. So we'll make sure that we drop that episode in the show notes. But as a quick reminder, a takeaway of what we've talked about today. So the first thing you want to think about is your sourcing. If you are selling physical products, where are you getting them? And is it scalable that you can continue to get them from wherever that source is? If you sell digital products, do you have a plan of how you're keeping your products up to date so you continue to sell them and they can become a cash cow for you rather than an annual nightmare where you're thinking, gosh, I've got to go and update this course again because it's got some tax numbers in or this, that or the other that's no longer relevant or a social media strategy which no longer exists. The second thing we want to do is think about our fulfillment. So how are you delivering your products? Are you going to, if you're fulfilling physical products, are you going to keep this in house and have somebody come and help you package and send things out yourself? Or are you going to start moving over to use a 3PL? If you're selling digital products, what aspects can you pass over to somebody else? Can you bring in any co-coaches? Can you get somebody to do answer questions in your Facebook group for you? Are you making sure you're making the most of Zapier and other automations to make all your software speak? If somebody leaves the membership, you've definitely made sure that they don't have access to the membership anymore and all of your billing and everything is working for you so you don't have to do it manually. And then the third piece is customer satisfaction. So who are you going to pass this over to as you start to scale? Because it cannot be you as the CEO. I'm going to make that loud and clear. You are not going to be answering customer queries for the rest of your life. Secondly, how can you systemize this, but in a way that gives flexibility? As Georgia mentioned, every customer wants something slightly differently. So how can you have those general guiding principles, but that works within your business? So people have, you know, your team have the autonomy to make the right decision for that right scenario. And they don't have to come to you all the time asking permission. Oh, do you mind if we refund this too? Oh, do you mind if we give somebody an extra discount off on this or an extra free month of the membership? You want to empower your team to be able to make those decisions for for you and your business based on those guiding principles. And then finally, we really need to make sure we're thinking about 
the customer and understanding what they're actually saying and the feedback they're giving us. So whilst we're not in the weeds of doing customer services, we still have that connection with our customers and our clients and we still understand their pains, what's going well, what's going wrong, because we really want to take some of that language and some of those concerns and issues into our products to improve them, into our marketing to help us nurture our customers well, and really making sure that we keep that connection so we continue to grow in the right direction. Thank you for listening to Scaling Simplified with me, Pip Harland. And me, Georgia Fitzgerald. If you've loved this episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We love it when you get in touch. So head to the show notes and drop us a DM or send us an email. We want to hear all about your business.